Welcome back to Highly Respected's IQ Supplements. I'm your host, Scott Greer, and today we have our election special. And even though the results are not 100% clear, we're going to discuss what we saw from last night and what they mean and what our takes should be before they're fully uh, fully formed out or resolved. I mean, we're going to be talking about the election for a while on Highly Respected as it doesn't appear that we're going to fully know what happened with these results up until, you know, the earliest this weekend. So, but we're going to go with this show because everyone's been wanting my takes on this and what's happening. Uh, some people have been very mad about my takes. I am getting a ton of hate on Twitter. It's like everyone on the, everyone in right wing sphere has just like decided to descend into my mentions and, and get angry at me for a variety of reasons. Uh, primarily because I still uh, support Trump and uh, apparently the uh, new thing is to want Brian Kemp instead of Donald Trump. We've got to win. So we've got to have establishment, business-first Republicans in order to win. It doesn't matter if they don't care about our policies and don't support anything we do. It's just all about winning. And so we're going to get down to what we should say with the midterms. I think it's obvious that the midterms were a bit disappointing. Now, whether they were a complete catastrophe or a failure, I'm not on that point yet because, one, it still looks like Republicans are going to the House. That's good. And it's still possible, still a toss-up if they'll win the Senate. I still have this theory that they're going to still pull out the Senate win and in the House, depending on the situation. It's <clears throat> There's still three Senate races out there. First off, there is some good results from this. Uh, well, obvious, the obvious good results from this, even though is uh, somewhat of a little disconcerting with my uh, DeSantis position, but I'll still say this is good, is that Florida is now a solid red state. It's not the only solid red state where Democrats can't compete in, or it's a former battleground Senate that Democrats can no longer compete in. Ohio is also like that. Missouri is like that. Iowa is like that. And Texas is increasingly like that, even though Democrats did a little bit better in Texas than they expected, at least compared to Florida. Florida is now a solid red state. You know, it's one of the most populous states in the country. Lots of people are moving to it. It's a big win. And so that is like good that DeSantis, you know, DeSantis won by um, roughly 20 points. I think maybe still went out, but it's about 20 points. Huge win, you know, some people uh, thought, you know, there were some polls that ridiculously showed, like, Krista head. I was like, I don't believe that. I thought he, I thought DeSantis was going to win by, like, eight or nine points. I did not expect him to win by 20 points. But I always predicted Florida was not a, you know, real competition. But the fact that they did so well in Florida, it does give a big boost to DeSantis and his 2024 hopes, which we'll get to later on the podcast. But I think, like, regardless of our thoughts on DeSantis as a 2024 candidate, I think the win in Florida is a big deal. I think it's done in large part due to the fact that there's tons of conservatives moving from blue states to that, to Florida. That may impact elections in, say, Michigan, uh, maybe Pennsylvania. Some of these states that may were battleground states, I think some of these people may have moved because of the ridiculousness of the governor, like in uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and maybe New York State would have been more competitive if these people had moved to Florida. Um, as everyone thought that, you know, New York may be in play that Zeldin could, you know, potentially win. It was a very close race for, you know, a solid blue state, very close race. 
but he just didn't have enough to get over the hurdle. Maybe, uh, you know, all the conservatives fleeing to Florida and Texas may have been, you know, the deciding factor. Who can know? But I think it is very clear that the reason why Florida and Texas are solidifying, especially in the case of Florida, are solidifying as red states is because of these conservative transplants from blue states, which is very funny because all these populist ink types have been talking about how these states need fewer people. Like, we need to... Uh, if you're coming from California to our state, we don't want you. And we're going to have to put you in a concentration camp and ensure you can't vote and try to. And it's like, yeah, first off, they're not going to be able to do this. But this is how their thoughts are. And all the people who are making these arguments are themselves like recent transplants. It's like, I moved in 2019. You just moved in 2021. We're not the same. It was very much similar with the uh, Robbie Starbuck race in, in Tennessee. I think this is good indicative of it. It's like Tennessee is another state that is becoming more like just not a state. I mean, not that Democrats have really tried to compete in it. But when I grew up there in the 2000s, you know, when I lived there, we had a Democratic governor and he won by solid mark. And he won re-election by a solid majority. Now, he's a very moderate uh, Democrat, Phil Bredesen. He won in 2006 and they thought that he would compete in 2018 and he got blown out in 2018, lost by double digits. Tennessee was like one of the states that's like, yeah, it's solid red, but maybe the Democrats could potentially win there. No, no chance because once again, a lot of these uh, conservative transplants from other states are moving there, but especially to Florida. But the point I was making is that Robbie Starbuck, when he ran in the one of the congressional districts in Tennessee, he was going against Morgan Ortegas initially and... Ortegas was backed by Trump and people were saying Ortegas is a carpetbagger and Starbucks campaign was even saying that. But Starbucks had just moved there in 2019 versus Ortegas moved there in 2021. And so some of these people are like that. And I think that uh, some of these conservatives are now going to try to not be as uh, as honed in on that idea. And they're like, we don't want businesses to move here. It's like if you're going to have a thriving, productive state where you know you're attracting the elites and you know a lot of investments you're going to have to want that business there yeah you have the potential that it brings some liberals there but it appears that a lot of the people who are moving there are people who are fed up with the policies in the states that they came from and that's why they're moving there and even in in this uh, in 2018 election there's a good example of this in texas is that ted cruz did better among people who had moved to te- texas versus those who had been born and raised in texas among those voters and so that's a clear indication of why DeSantis. Uh, why did DeSantis win? Uh, one, because he's not Trump and he he is just so smart and rational. I wouldn't go that far. I think it's that one, Floridians are happy that the state was stayed relatively open during COVID. It did not have all the insane COVID policies. Their economy is thriving in large part because a lot of businesses and people are relocating there due to the COVID madness and they saw it as an open state. It's similar to what's going on in Texas and other red states that stayed relatively open during COVID. That's one thing, you know, the, everything, you know, <laughs> there was also DeSantis had a pretty good hurricane response. I think it's Subway, and I think he has been very good at you know selling his his message and agenda to Floridians. And I think the state has naturally become redder. And I think when compared to Charlie Crist, Crist is not very. He also a good thing for DeSantis is that he ran against a very uh, unlikable person. I think Floridians are tired of Charlie Crist. They want no more of Charlie Crist. Like Charlie Crist has lost. I think three, at least three statewide races. 
by now. And I think Florian's just like hate Charlie Crist. He also, Charlie Crist ran with a very radical lieutenant governor uh, who is like a huge leftist who like attacked Cubans, attacked like, the, she even attacked the state. And that gave a lot of grist to DeSantis. So some of that was do it. But even with all these factors, you know, he probably still would have won by double digits. Maybe like if he was running against a, like a better Democrat candidate, he would have only won by 11 points. So a lot of this, its bigger part is that DeSantis is a popular governor in Florida. They're thriving uh, economically. It does feel that some of the, and a lot of there's more conservatives who are living there who want his policies. And so it is playing very well in Florida. Now, can that translate nationally? That's a question we'll talk about later on in the podcast when it goes into implications for 2024. But it was a very good night for DeSantis. And it was not just it was not just him individually. It was very good for Florida as a party. It's that they did incredibly well in these areas that used to be a blue. They even won like counties with like blue cities in there. Like I think they won the area. They won uh, Jacksonville, the, the surrounding areas of that. They won the surrounding areas of, of Tampa. They competed heavily in, in Miami and South Florida. Uh, these traditionally Democrat strongholds in in, in those places, they picked up a lot of seats, uh, House seats there, and, and made the state legislature a lot more Republican. So it was like good across the board for the GOP. And, you know, credit is to it. It's like DeSantis's policies, you know, they are working. But it's the question is, is how well does this translate to uh, nationally, I would say this, like the one policy I can say that probably had no bearing on the election that every Republican thought was a huge win for DeSantis was the migrant flights. I think the re a big reason why he discontinued them, uh, they probably didn't have that much of a big impact, but I guarantee you that a reason why he discontinued them is that the South Florida, Cuban and Venezuelan population that is growing, there's a ton of Venezuelans there, and there's obviously a bunch of Cubans there, were probably not fond of the idea of sending these Venezuelan migrants that he picked up in Texas to Martha's Vineyard and he discontinued it. Smart political move. Once I have to say this is like DeSantis is a very smart uh, politician, political operator. I think his real problems are it comes down to charisma and I think it is going to come down to, you know, him having to challenge the most charismatic uh, person in the Republican field. Uh, for 2024, but we will have to get that. It's a, a credit to him. I think also some of the culture war stuff that he's gotten into. I don't know how the Disney fight would have played out uh, with them. I think his stop woke act, you know, that type of stuff, getting that wokeness out of schools, that is a huge winner for Republicans. Uh, you know, Youngkin won in Virginia on the basis of that stuff, and especially going on the school issue. So his Stop Woke Act and going after a lot of the critical race theory and the gender ideology in schools was also played a factor. But I think it's also, um, you know, the state stayed open during COVID. You know, all these conservative trans conservatives moved there there because of the craziness going on in the blue states that they may have lived in and the state is doing very well economically and i and i think also that uh, desantis had a good response to the hurricane um and he w ran against uh, terrible democrats so all these factors but it's mostly credit to desantis you know balls and we'll call balls and strikes here you know i'm not going to try to cope and being like the 20 points doesn't matter i think the my cope's going to come about uh translating this nationally but it's not a cope it's facts and logic so that's the one thing that's uh we talked about that uh other good things going on as i said 
uh, J.D. Vance won easily in uh, in Ohio, despite not really campaigning in the general election. Like there was all these articles, like where is J.D. Vance? Like J.D. Vance, like he went on like a trip to Israel. Like I like J.D. and I think he's a he's going to be promoting our ideas in in Congress, but he wasn't running like the best of campaigns in 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 the election. You know, I think there could have been. Uh, looking at some of the stuff he could have done you know he people were remarking about how he wasn't campaigning well and they had like a moderate democrat who was like campaigning really hard in ohio and he still lost tim ryan and he still lost by six points but that's just speaking to how ohio is now a solid red state uh missouri got called it immediately that's missouri was once a battleground state it's now solid red and um North Carolina, they won probably not by the margin that they wanted. I thought there would be more of a blowout there, but um, it wasn't. Actually, the worst part is like this Sherry Beasley. Uh, I think that's like Beasley who won is like the state Supreme Court just chief justice. And I was like, this is who of North Carolina is elected for chief justice. And the North Carolina, but they still won. And those were races that they should have probably um, the Democrats were hoping to win. Uh, Wisconsin, it looks like they're going to hold on with Ron Johnson there. Everyone uh, p- thought that that would be a, a Democrat pickup, but then the polling started showing a favor of Johnson. Johnson looks like he's going to go to... Some people have already called it, but the major networks haven't called it. Maybe by the time you've listened to it, the major networks have already called it. But, you know, there's like... It's nearly 100... It's like exactly 100 percent and maybe like a few ballots remaining and he's ahead by 27,000 votes he's gonna be he's gonna be going to the senate again and some outlets repeatable outlets have called it for him but you know associated press like cnn those haven't yet a lot of the new york house races look to be going republican new york was like even though it did not come out for a win for republicans the fact that it was zeldin made the governor's race a competitive and he only lost by a few points in a state that, you know, Republicans usually lose by like 20 points and don't compete at all. He did make that state more competitive. There's a lot of upstate uh, races that have gone uh, favorably towards Republicans. So those are good uh, indicators there. They did flip one seat in Virginia when they should have flipped two. But we'll go to that uh, later when we're talking about factors of why the Republicans were uh, did not have as a... Um, Speaking over myself, I've said did not have the results that they expected, the great results that they expected. Uh, another positive, it looks like Carrie Lake is going to pull out a victory in Arizona. It's leaning towards it. Maybe speaking ahead, I think that's a huge win if they gain the gov- if they retain the governorship in in Arizona. Senate race is, is up in the air, but that one thing we have a lot of things we're having to pull off. I'm trying to give like the immediate white pills are the good things that have happened. And then we'll go to predictions of what may happen and implications for 2024. Now, that's like most of the good things that have happened. It's like Florida, solid red, Ohio, solid red. You know, they kept most of their seats. They only lost one Senate seat. And even some of these races were very competitive. You know, Democrats were open to pick up in North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida even. And, you know, they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. Now to the negatives. Uh, Michigan, which is turning more solidly blue state. We'll start with Michigan because this is not 
uh, something I've seen as much attention to. Uh, Michigan has like now the first uh, Democrat majority uh, state Senate since like in 40 years. Uh, so uh, there's something going wrong in Michigan. I think Michigan's actually one of those states that was like a battleground state, but a lot of those people have just left the state. I mean, there's like not much there. I mean, Detroit's still a shithole. A lot of those people in the suburbs are probably just like, we're moving. A lot of those companies have just decided like, you know, we're moving out of the suburbs. Like there's policies they wouldn't like. And also Michigan had some of the most insane COVID policies out of any state of the union. Thanks to Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer won uh, pretty handily. Uh, I mean, it was sort of competitive, but you know, it was called pretty early on for Whitmer. She, uh, she has, uh, she now is a better candidate for if she wants to run for president, the fact that she won re-election. But there's like problems uh, there with 2024 implications. With once again, I haven't to say we have to wait for this because I, I'm trying to save up. Maybe I'm saving up all the good stuff. But Michigan was is becoming increasingly going back from a battleground state to an increasingly blue state. And it's also Trump lost the state by a lot. And some people want to say rigging and for Michigan. I th- I mean, there was, of course, a lot of shenanigans going on in 2020. But it's like not, you know, even in Michigan probably had some shenanigans. But the margin was so lopsided that like it was probably was like he did lose the state outright in Michigan. As I know, it's a controversial say, thing to say for the right wing, but yeah, I think that was the case in Michigan. And it's probably only worsened because I think due to the insane COVID policies that they've just been moving out there. Other disappointing things is that a lot of these House races, they just did not, they did not get the results that they wanted. Some of the things that they're looking for in Texas, like Myra Flores lost her race in Texas and also uh, Kular, Keller, I don't know, Keller, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Actually, this guy, I thought it was like Queller, and then it's like Keller. It's like uh, some, once again showing my horrible Spanish, uh, who is running in a D, pretty D favorable district, and this guy is a moderate. You know, he takes some conservative positions, especially on the border. He retained a seat. Myra Flores lost, but Myra Flores was in a D heavy district. They did not expect her when she won that special election. They're like, she's probably not going to win the general election. And so these results were not that disappointing. What happened in South Texas, uh, in these Hispanic areas that Republicans have been looking to gain more from. They were not hugely disappointing, but it's just the nature of the events. And, you know, Flores's district is Democrat. So is um, the other guy. Quayler. We're going to go with Quayler as his name. I don't know. Quayler. I don't It could be something else. Once again, showing off my idiot uh, English only. I've actually, so Quayler. Uh, so Quayler did, you know, he, once again, that's a D favorable district. Republicans were hoping that he would lose his primary, which he almost did. And he was going to lose it to an AOC type and that that would uh, increase their chances of winning, but it didn't happen. So I don't want to say those are dis- disappointing. Uh, J.R. Majewski, who's like follows me, he was like a really funny candidate. Uh, I, when he won, he like turned his lawn into a Trump campaign slogan and stuff. But he like had like a stolen valor accusations. Like he uh, made up some of his military record and like the RNC pulled out support for him. He lost in a district that they had in Ohio that they had made to be more favorable to Republicans. But he was probably the wrong candidate to run in that district. I think that's like a big thing that like some of these House races, they have not gone the way that they've 
were expecting because they didn't have the right candidates for that district. It was the same in this one in Virginia with against Abigail Spanberger, which was when they redistrict a lot of things in 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 Virginia, it looked like Spanberger's district would be more competitive for um, for Republicans. And they ran this woman, Yesley, uh, Yesley Vega, who's like the Hispanic, like MAGA person who was there. And this is like a, you know, this is still like an area that reaches close up to the D.C. suburbs. And this is like a very moderate district. And Vega ran uh, all the ads against Vega were all about abortion and all about January 6th. And this is an area, you know, it's like heavily veteran, heavily like people who worked in D.C. at some point and they just moved further out. You know, this is not, as I said, a very moderate area. And they ran like a very MAGA Hispanic based brown woman to run in this area. And she just didn't have it. I think if they had run somebody else that they would have won. Uh, but this person the, that all they talked about how she supports abortion with no or abortion ban with no exceptions supports like uh, banning abortion. Um, no exceptions as in like even if you, you know, uh, in the exceptions that they used to say is like except in the cases of rape and incest. Vega was opposed to those exceptions and they ran ad after ad after ad about this, about Vega and also her support for January 6th, which I thought was a little bit thin, but more the abortion angle. Which this stuff, there's a lot, a lot of college-educated white women in that area. And Spangenberger, who's pretty terrible, one of the CIA Democrats, she was able to win. Another race where I think they had a good candidate, but it was had been redistricted to be more uh, Democrat, was Bo Hines. Bo Hines, people were really excited about. This is like, uh, you know, he looked like... Um, Cawthorn, Madison Cawthorn, if he could walk <laughs> and like, uh, you know, not the duplicitous stuff in his background. Very young guy, you know, art, uh, very charismatic uh, Trump guy. But he was like running in a district that was much more of a battleground territory that was like more leaning dim. And he lost by a narrow margin. Once again, it was like some way uh, how the cookie crumbles with redistricting is that used to be a very R dish, uh, R heavy district, but it got redistricted to be more Democrat. And he, he lost. And also there's like a problem with Lauren Boebert maybe losing her seat. But you have to remember is that like people are like, wow, this is a disaster. Is that that district is barely Republican. I think it's, uh, you know, it's like R plus three, R plus two. It's like a, not a it's not a strong Republican district. And she, you know, Bobert's kind of a cartoon character <laughs> with her uh, stuff. And she, it's not called yet. It's still very close. So we'll have to see if she pulls it out. It's, uh, it's a good win. But like, people should be like, wow, how is she losing? It's like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a R heavy district. It's like R, it's a barely Republican district. So some of this stuff is like maybe not having the right candidates, maybe. Uh, not adjusting for situations of who to put best candidates there because a lot of these redistricting weren't solidified up until like after some of these elections like i'm pretty sure that was the case in ohio because majewski was supposed to be running in marcy captor's um district which is d was so like d plus nine or something and then it switched to like r plus three or r plus two and that was and they're like, okay, why do we care? And then they're like, oh shit, this is a district we can win. 
And they've got uh, <laughs> Majewski, who is like great content, like really funny. He did like a QAnon rap song or a MAGA rap song and stuff. So I like support the content. But, you know, if you're hoping to gain a majority, like you got to be a little bit more careful about who you're having for these districts and other things. And maybe it might have been the case with same with Bo Hines. Like, I think he was a much greater candidate, like a very you know strong candidate could be in the future. But maybe they should have. Uh, Maybe not have been the best choice for that area. So we'll we'll see. Maybe he was, but it was like a D a D area. And some it was even the same with like the Myra Flores thing is that they Flores prom that said that they should have not made that district so heavily D because they said, look, we can I we we can win this. And then they're like, no, we'll we'll make it more D and exp uh, at the same time making another district more red, and that. Uh, that uh, hurt her chances. So some of that is just the way, like, you know, maybe not the best choice of candidates. Some of the way that these redistricting didn't turn out the way, especially when they're running primaries and other things. And so we just had, you know, that's maybe some of the reason why there wasn't as good of house results. Uh, but those that's it for those races. And Pennsylvania was not good. Pennsylvania is probably the biggest black pill from the night, I think, if we're going by a state is that uh, Doug Mastriano lost by double digits. You know, Mastriano got destroyed, and no one's talking about how Mastriano got destroyed, even though he lost by 12 or 13 points. Uh, it, they're all focusing on how Oz lost, which Oz lost by less than three points. He, compared to who the other choices were, which was like Kathy Barnett, who would have probably got clobbered just like Mastriano. She was not going to get donors. She was the... Establishment probably wasn't going to be fond of her. She was also big into the election, stop the steal stuff. Uh, the same with Mastriano, which I think that stuff was not a winner in this elections. And she would have gotten destroyed. She probably would have lost by double digits. And that was who everyone else's pick. McCormick, you can say, may have done a little bit better. I don't know if he would have had enough to win. Maybe he would have lost by a smaller margin because I think a big reason why they lost in Pennsylvania is that Mastriano brought down the whole ticket. And I think a lot of people like Mastriano because, you know, he stood up with Gab and he, he seemed to not apologize for stuff. But it's like very unappealing for that state in, in Pennsylvania. He also ran as like a, he had like a really hyper evangelical campaign, which most of Pennsylvania is not evangelical. Like I think if he had run his campaign in Alabama or Mississippi or like a really red uh, state, I think he would have done, he would have won, but he was running in the wrong state for his message. And it's like completely weird. I mean, they interviewed this girl who was going, uh, this like 25 year old girl who is, I think it was like Washington Post. They interviewed this 25 girl, year old girl going to a Pittsburgh Steelers game and talking to her about like what she thought about the candidates. She, she's like, I'm probably voting for Oz, but I think Mastriano is too extreme. And, you know, I just don't like it. And it's like my issues are pocketbook and that. And I think there's probably some people who are like, you know what, I would have voted for um, Oz, but I thought that, you know, this whole ticket seems too extreme and I'm just not doing that. And I think even if Roger McCormick was the the nominee, he would have still had that same problem. Because I don't know what the Oz problem was like right after he lost or won the nomination, he wasn't campaigning. And then he, he got back on track and he was campaigning hard. He was doing a much better job campaigning. Maybe he would have been too much of a joke candidate. Maybe he was it was hard for him to get those voters out. But like the problem is, is like Mastriano was like the ideal candidate for these base voters. 
and he got and he got destroyed. So you could maybe say Matt McCormick would have eked out a victory. Maybe he would have done a little bit better. But I think he would have still had the major problem with like Mastriano brought down the whole ticket. That's just the way. I mean, if 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 your go if your gubernatorial candidate is losing by double digits, and it's and it's not to an, a popular incumbent, it's to Josh Shapiro. I think there's uh, like your a lot of your fault needs to lie with gubernatorial candidate. Now this is a problem. Like I will say that like a lot of people are focusing on Oz because they want to blame Trump for all these losses. Trump did endorse Mastriano. I don't think Trump's endorsement of Mastriano made him win. I think he was going to win regardless, but Trump wanted to just back a winner anyway. Which, <clears throat> well, I think if Trump had endorsed uh, Lou Barletta. Before, uh, like well before the election, I think Barletta would have pulled out and won. But he waited. But Trump waited till the weekend and it uh, of the election, and you know it, it was already you know Mastriano had already had a dominating lead. But people don't want to blame Mastriano. Uh, don't want to really focus on Mastriano because one, they like appealing to that base voter who was like, oh, we didn't have solid conservatives, and then. You know, we have like a true solid conservative here. You know, he's like ideal, like for a lot of the MAGA base for populist base and he gets destroyed and they don't want to focus on that. And they instead want to say uh, Trump is backing these uh, these fake rhinos like uh, Herschel Walker and 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 Dr. Oz. And this is why we don't like him. It's the same with uh, Bolduck in New Hampshire, which Bolduck, I don't they could have nominated a more moderate person i know the the republican establishment wasn't that keen to support bulldog but i think even if they had nominated a more moderate person i think it would have been a very tough tough race for gop to win i think that they're you know maybe the mart you could say it would have been a closer margin but i think going on new hampshire is maybe the wrong choice i think in compared and when you look at oz and the other two candidates that were competing against him he would he did better than Barnett. Barnett would have been destroyed, and you can look at Mastriano for uh, evidence for that. And McCormick, it's uh, it's a toss up whether you know McCormick would have done slightly better. Maybe he could have, but I think it, he would, McCormick still would have had a campaign with Mastriano. I think McCormick would have been much less comfortable campaigning, having that campaigning with him. And so maybe maybe that is maybe, but who knows. I, and I don't think it was as de- uh, when you're looking at devastating results, you should be focused more on the gubernatorial race than the Senate race. Now, when it comes to, but it's a depressing rate uh, feel because they lost, they did not gain the house seats in Pennsylvania that they wanted to. There were at least three districts that d- Republicans looked to compete in, like based on, you know, the margin, the favorability towards uh, Democrats. Like these were three districts that are barely Democrat leaning. And, Two went Democrat. One is still uncalled, but it looks like the De- the Democrats in the lead uh, by a percentage point. Looks like that person will hold, but who knows? Maybe there might be some new results coming in that may flip that race. So they did very disappointingly in Georgia, or not in Pennsylvania. We're going to move to Georgia next. So that was like Pennsylvania, but I think that it may be one of these states. That also a lot of their conservatives have just moved. And it's also like the crime problem is just like forcing people to move. We'll go to the issues later, but I'm just going through uh, down by line of what 
uh, some of these race results. And Georgia, Brian Kemp won decisively against Stacey Abrams, a devastating loss for Stacey Abrams. Surprisingly, she didn't try to call it election fraud, uh, but he won pretty decisively. And Warnock versus Walker is going to a runoff, which I predicted that Walker uh, would lose. But also a problem with, you have to think is like, Georgia's been pretty good for, for Republicans because they ran a guy who is accused of paying for multiple abortions <laughs> and he's going to a runoff and he looks, you know, he, uh, Warnock is ahead barely, uh, at the end results. But I think if the Senate races in the balance, I think say De Laxalt or masters wins and it's, and it's 50, 49. And you know, the, who controls the Senate is up in the balance. I think Republicans will pull out and win that in Georgia. So that's something to look forward to. That's something to uh, be. But I mean, it's pretty incredible. I think it, Georgia's probably more indicative of uh, how red, uh, you know, maybe this wasn't as super Republican results, but it still shows that there was like strong Republican strength that the fact that a guy who has been accused of uh, pay, allegedly paying for multiple abortions is, you know, within striking, may actually win a Senate seat. Now, there's some areas that people thought were going to be competitive, uh, naming Washington, Oregon, that were not competitive at all. Uh, Oregon's a Democrat person won. <laughs> uh, they, they had a, uh, in the governor's race, that they thought that would be more competitive. Washington Senate race, the Washington Senate race, that person, that was like called nearly immediately. And people were like, oh, this will be a competitive race. And then like, it was like polls came closed. And then like 10 minutes later, they announced that that person had won. It's like, wow, that was competitive at all. People were competing, thought that that may be a competitive area. In Washington, Joe Kent, uh, who some people like, some people don't like because, uh, you know, he condemned Nick Fuentes disavow when he didn't need to. He looks like he's still going to win his house race, even though it's competitive right now. Very competitive. I was looking at it last night. New York Times still said that that was likely for um, Kent to win. So that would be keeping that seat within Republican hands in Congress. But the real races to look to are Arizona and Nevada. Once again, Paul Laxalt looks like he is going to win in Nevada. At this point, he's ahead don't know what the poll ballots out that are outstanding, how many of them are mail-in, how many are same day of. It looks like a lot of their mail-in ballots were already counted, at least both in Nevada and Arizona. I know that's the case in Arizona. And the Arizona race has some advantages. With Laxalt, things look better for Laxalt than they do for Masters, but Masters still has the opportunity, to, has a chance to win. Carrie Lake looks like she's going to win. She's well, um, She is within striking distance now of her opponent, Democratic opponent, and she's only, you know, she's outpacing Masters by a few percentage points, so she'll probably have enough to win. Most people predict that it's a likely, um, that it's a likely Carrie Lake win, which, you know, if she had lost, that would have been real bad news for Republicans because everyone see, saw her as this rising star. She's stealing a lot of thunder from Ron DeSantis as the other person not named Trump that Republicans should rally behind. She's extremely charismatic. She was really popular uh, with Arizona audiences. She had like large, was drawing large rallies and other things. And Blake Masters, if he loses, that'd be also very, very disappointing because he pretty much went, uh, you know, really checked off all the boxes for America First issues and 
He's a very smart young guy. He seems to have a lot of potential. I think some people overstate his uh, Caesar uh, appeal because he he's not that charismatic, but he you know compared to most politicians, he's he's charismatic enough. So those things. Uh, so I would looking at the situation right now. As I said, New York Times predicts that the and most outlets still predict that the Republicans are staying the House retain the house it's still not guaranteed but a looking still looking that way depending on some of how these races go and the senate is in the balance you know new york times says that leans democrat but that depends uh you know they can't figure that out i mean if laxalt wins or lax if one if one of the two races that are supposed to be decided this week because george is going to run off if one of the two races goes republican then it's, you know, it's anyone's guess. It's all dependent on the Georgia special election. But both of those races could still be won. I don't know if that's going to be good for Walker because maybe, I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe if Democrats, <laughs> I don't know how that special election is going to work. I don't know if that would be better for Walker or worse for Walker if the the Senate is already firmly in hands and Republicans because maybe Democrats won't even show up either. And so it could be better for Walker. So who we'll have to figure that out when it happens in a month. So all the doom and gloom, I think, is a little too much. Yes, these results are disappointing. And why they happen is, is, is a matter of discussion we'll go into. But I think our side is a little bit too addicted to doomerism and gloom and like people just don't automatically grasp towards it, especially these are really aggressive positions and just like being like attacking and, and like really spiteful. Like, dude, all these DeSantis stamps and stuff are just like firmly on the attack. And it's like, you know, you guys had a big win. Like, why are you just like going after any per like this, like you're spending your whole night, like viciously attacking Trump, which a lot of the DeSantis sport is not so much about DeSantis. It's about hating Trump. I think that's something to keep in mind is like DeSantis is made up to be someone who's not because people have a model in their mind of who they want to be against Trump. And they see that person in DeSantis, even though DeSantis is usually doesn't hold up to that model. Either it's normal conservatives who want to return to normalcy. They see that in DeSantis, which I think that's a more accurate impression of DeSantis than some of these populist types who think that DeSantis is the Caudillo who's going to implement based authoritarian dictatorship and be a Caesar and arrest all libtards. <laughs> you know, people just think he is going to be this much better ver or a much either a much better version of Trump or somebody who finally buries Trumpism. I think the someone who buries Trumpism is more accurate, but not entirely. You know, not entirely by based on what positions he's holding and what are popular, but this is something to keep in mind. So people automatically just gloom, gloom, doom pilled after this. But I, I don't think <coughs> I don't think it's time to be doomer uh, at this moment. If they end up losing the Senate and the House, then yes, that is that. Uh, I think we want them to win both. I think if they win the House, it's still good. Uh, maybe not. It's disappointing. If they win both. Who cares about the lukewarm results? A majority is a majority. It's a win is a win. I think the thing to realize is that our country is so polarized at this point that it's very hard to have these red and blue wave elections or like of what we imagine from the past, like something like 94 when Republicans just like absolutely crushed the Democrats and stuff like even from going back to the 60s where there'd be like 
you know, Democrats having a 100 seat advantage over Republicans in the House. Like those days are probably long past. I think it's like do the art of gerrymandering, which I, this is not a criticism of gerrymandering. I think this makes it politics much better from our perspective if you're like an America first nationalist. <clears throat> because if we didn't have gerrymandered districts, and this is probably even the same with Democrats too. If you didn't have those type of districting, and Democrats do it just as bad, if not worse, than Republicans. So you generally, when somebody brings up gerrymandering, it's either uh, you know, a shit lib or a centrist who's complaining about it. Or Republicans are like, we need to stop gerrymandering so we have a party that can compete. You know, It's just the nature of it. But it's made it into a science where it's very hard for, you, for Republicans to win in a D plus 10 district or in, this, in the reverse, too. It's very hard to win in these districts. And so that you just have, and then it comes down to these districts where it's like plus three, like the Majewski district. And if you have the, a bad candidate, you know, you're just not going to pull it out. No matter how, what the situation is going on in the country. So it's become a game of inches where, you know, you can't expect a huge overwhelming majority. And it's really like both sides are competing over you know, maybe like 25 seats, the same 25 or 30 seats in the House and, you know, five or so seats in the, in the Senate, you know, and they're all competing for to have this narrow majority in both in both chambers. And this has been the case for a while. I think if you look at the past outside of 2014, which was like a clear Republican win. And even 2016 was probably a clear Republican, especially compared to what the polls were going to say. But for the past three elections, national elections, they have been inconclusive, <laughs> like, and what to say, like 2018, they all said it was a blue wave, but Repu Democrats failed to win the Senate when they're supposed to win the Senate. And they want lost a bunch of key races that they're supposed to win. Like they lost in Florida, both gubernatorial and Senate. They lost in Georgia. They lost in, they were supposed to be competing in Tennessee and they got blown out. They lost in Indiana, they lost decisively in Missouri, which they always predicted was a battleground state. So they were not doing that well in 2018. They still won some seats that they are retained, some seats that they thought they were going to retain. And they did well in the House. But even when they came back to the House, you know, it didn't look like this massive blue wave. They did win that majority in the House, but they... But Republicans gained seats in the Senate. So it's hard to say that, that was a blue wave when Republicans gained seats in one of the chambers which the Democrats expected to win. And they're all, but they made it as a blue wave to get under Trump's skin and to attack Trump. And like, and a lot of conservative media wanted to go along with it because they like attacking Trump. But it was a much more competitive race than you would think, especially for midterms, especially with a president who the entire media is claiming is the new Hitler. And uh, they, get, uh, they get a majority in the House, but <clears throat> they lose seats in the Senate. And then in 2020, it looked like that Republicans were going to win. We're going to at first, it looked like Republicans were retain the majority in the Senate, but the Georgia runoffs didn't go that way. And they had a narrow, narrow margin of defeat in the House and a narrow margin defeat in, in the presidential election, even though some people may say that, uh, you know, maybe they didn't win in the presidential election. So that was pretty inconclusive. And they predicted, and you have to look at all the media hysteria, and they were predicting a bloodbath, like, you know, 10-seat majority, or maybe not a 10-seat majority, but a strong Senate majority and a strong House majority. And then it turned out to be, oh, uh, these results suck for Democrats. And Republicans are like, oh, this was actually not that bad. We almost won. And 
They and they thought it was like the best results possible is that they would retain the Senate majority, narrow house, uh, uh, narrow house majority for Democrats, but and Trump would lose. And they thought this was like the best case scenario. Uh, obviously, they didn't re- keep the Senate majority, but it was 50 50. So inconclusive results. And now we're seeing that again in 2022, where you know, you may still have that slight shift over to Republicans. And yeah, you may point out all these terrible conditions, but look at the terrible conditions that the media was also focusing on. Like in 2020, like they were saying that Trump was responsible for every single death of COVID. And they were hyping up Black Lives Matter and like the racism. And it's like, this country is so racist. And they're hiding information from the public about the Democrats and about Joe Biden about their and about the Black Lives Matter riots. There was just so much lies and dif- disinformation put out by the media and social media that it's like remarkable that Republicans did so well in 2020, especially with the COVID hysteria reigning. And COVID hysteria was the reason why Republicans did not turn that into just a massive, you know, massive victory for themselves and COVID itself. So, and they were blaming every day that like the, you know, CNN had the, like the death tracker and every time they would blame Trump, Trump, Trump for that. And that was getting out to the public. And so it was remarkable. Now in 2022, people will be like, well, you know, with inflation and crime so high, it's remarkable how, you know, Republicans did win. And it's like, well, you know, you've had the media say that inflation is not that big of a deal and that crime doesn't exist. And actually, there's more crime in red states. That's their new line that they like to say. And crime is just a figment of your imagination. And so the, with even those factors, it's still and yeah, the country's heading in the wrong direction and everyone doesn't like Joe Biden. But you know, there's just not that type of movement away from, there's just not that much movement in the direction. I think it's just that people are just totally polarized and tribalized when they come to elections. And most people will just vote for (coughs) their party that they're already stuck with, no matter what's going on, the crime and stuff. But another factor is like, if you really want to look at this decisive factor, and everyone is predicting it was Trump, uh, because there's there's a consensus with this. And I've said this consensus is the same with COVID lockdowns, is that both sides want to come to an agreement to blame Trump for the lockdowns. And you're seeing that from the conservative commentary and you're seeing that from liberal commentary because everyone knows that COVID lockdowns are now unpopular and they can't, you know, Republicans want to blame Fauci and Democrats want to blame Trump, but Republicans also want to blame Trump because they want to get rid of Trump and they want to lessen his support. So they're all coming together to agree this is Trump's fault. And it's the same with the 2022 elections is that both sides want Trump to be removed from public discourse. And so they want to say that the reason why this election was a referendum on Trump, even though Trump was not on the ballot, it was a referendum on Trump. And the disappointing results is the fact that Republican that Trump is a loser and you Republicans need to do everything possible to eliminate him so they can get Megan McArdle to vote for uh, and all these other shitty uh, uh, conservative uh, pundits from the news media to vote for Republicans. And that's what they need to go about now. And this is like absolutely silly that they're going to go with this. And if you really want to look at the factor, it is abortion. I know people don't really want to hear this because a lot of people are very pro-life and it's not saying like you should give up your pro-life beliefs and Republicans are never going to stop being, are not going to go to being pro-choice. This is just observing fact that the Dobbs decision and some of the decisions that Republicans decided to go into may have impacted the selection. I think it was a case in Arizona. I think Arizona would have been much more lopsided in Republican favor if 
this specific judge hadn't restored a 19th century law that like was like the strictest abortion law on the books. And this is a battleground state, you know, maybe wait till after the election to do that stuff. But they had such a strict abortion law that I think that that had sway on a lot of those voters in Arizona and probably in Pennsylvania as well. Even though that's not a Republican state, I think the fact that Mastriano was uh, one of the factors I think is both like the stop the steal stuff and the abortion that Mastriano was like the, you know, the staunchest guy on both of those issues that that hurt the entire Republican ticket in Pennsylvania. And the polling shows this and they asked like which issues, uh, you know, this is a CBS News exit poll, which uh, which one of these five issues mattered most to you in deciding how you voted today? Crime was for 11%, and that went, uh, you know, surprisingly not as strongly Republican, only went 57% to 41% Democrat. Uh, shows, like, how idiotic some people are voting for Democrats. Abortion, or right, well, I'll go through all the issues. Gun policy came at 11%. That was 60% to 37% Democrat favor. And then immigration was 73% to 25% in favor of Republicans. That's a pretty good sign for Republicans and for us. But an inflation, 31%, which was a huge, you know, that's like the top issue for people, 71% in favor of Republicans versus 28% for Democrats. But a huge also lopsided margin was found among for abortion, which 27% said that out of all those five issues, that was the most important issue to them or mattered the most in deciding how they voted today. And that was a 76% versus 23% advantage to Democrats. So that's like obviously true. And then there was two red states that voted against pro-life legislation. K Kentucky had an outright ban and they out the majority of the people voted against it, voted against the ban. This is Kentucky. This is a red state. This is not, um, you know, a battleground. It's not really a battleground state, even though they do have a Democratic governor. It's a it's more of a fluke. It's a solid red state. Montana, extremely solid red state. And they had a bill that wasn't even a ban abortion. It was just a buy. It was it's pro-life legislation. It's a way to get into the discussion about abor banning abortion. It's just providing health care to to uh, essentially to babies that are born still still alive from abortion. That's like the point of it. And nearly 60 percent of Montanans voted against it. And so, you know, it's not a winner, you know, and all these Republicans and conservatives have been promising that abortion is a huge winner. You know, the pro-life generation, Gen Z is pro-life and millennials are pro-life, which is the complete opposite. You know, overwhelming majorities of Gen Z and Z uh, millennials are, are pro-abortion. And it was just not there. And so... I think the Dobbs decision, I've always said this, is like if Republicans and conservatives view abortion as such a integral port of, of overturning Roe v. Wade was so important to them that negate having some a disappointing re election results was worth it, then that's the point. Then I think that's a trade-off. But I think that they need to admit that there's a trade-off there, which they don't want to admit that there's any trade-off. That like actually they still want to insist that pro-life is a extremely popular position it's what the majority believes in. The entire country wants to vote for an abortion ban. It's good politics to be campaigning on abortion ban with no exceptions. And we must insist on all Republicans campaigning on this issue. When Republicans got clobbered by this, like Vega in, in Virginia against Spamberger lost because of the abortion issue. I think in and I think it's Arizona is so close because of the abortion issue. And I think even in some of these places, you know, I think New York is like doing pretty well. 
But I think it's a lot of these places, if you're looking at the votes, if you're looking at where play people are going, I think if you want to look at disappointing results and things that change, it was Dobbs. Like Republicans were heavy favorites before Dobbs came out. Dobbs came out and then it became more competitive and it looked like the polling, but it looked like the polling was showing the Republican advantage returning. And once again, they still may retain the majority, but if you want to look at disappointing results, I think without the Dobbs decision and without maybe Republicans getting a little too eager to go with the bans before waiting till after the elections, I think that that did cost Republican seats. Now, if you want to say that that's a trade-off, that's fine. Yeah, you, you know, I, that's an understandable point of view to say, like, you know, the the positives from overturning Roe v. Wade outweigh the negatives of a disappointing midterm result. I, you know, that's that's an understandable position. I, I think that there is merit to that. But I think it requires people to, to fucking acknowledge it, which Republicans don't want to acknowledge this shit. They do not want to acknowledge it. They're going to completely ignore Kentucky and Montana and Kansas. And you got to remember is that Kansas also voted against abortion. Or they voted against the idea of allowing the state legislature to pass laws restricting abortion. And it was like an overwhelming majority. And everyone had this cope about like, oh, they didn't understand it and this stuff. And then I've looked at the bill and I was like, okay, that may be the case. That, let's say that. But Kentucky and Montana have shown that this is like complete nonsense. That like, actually they, even if outside of like Alabama, Mississippi, maybe Oklahoma, I, I would be skeptical of Oklahoma. I think the only two states I can guarantee that if they put it on a ballot to ban abortion, I think you'd only get it in Alabama, Mississippi. That's the only states I could guarantee. Other states, it may be up in the air. Uh, but if you know, if you're losing in Kentucky and Montana, uh, and in Montana, it wasn't an outright ban. And also in the same, it's the same in Kansas. Like if you're losing in these places, it's it is in your own states on these issues. This is not uh, this is not a political winner. And you can just like people need to admit that that that's like a not a political winner. And, you know, you could still be, you know, trying to work to educate people to make it a more popular decision. But I think it's like the, you know, the zealotry on this issue when all these people will demand, will be upset if somebody, you know, they will allow people to, for Republicans to be supportive of open borders and amnesty and all this, but they will sh shout to the high heavens if somebody is not in favor and doesn't publicly announce at all possible times that they oppose or they support an abortion ban with no exceptions, I think that comes at a cost and that comes at a political winner. And I think it's like Republicans probably, if they want to win elections, they probably they can't they probably shouldn't allow I'm not saying that they should allow like or be accepting of pro-choice Republicans, but they need to allow Republicans some leeway and wiggle room on this issue in order to compete in elections and so because otherwise you're just allowing this one segment of a conservative audience which is not a huge ground roots base you know you have to think is like the these people have been promising have been saying that if they ban Dobbs or if they ban Roe v. Wade if they ban abortion that there's this huge grassroots outpouring that will come and offset any negatives but polling shows that only 23% of people who said abortion was their most important issue were inclined to vote Republican so where did that where did that support base come from where did that support base come from? And they had they just had a massive victory. Shouldn't these people want to be rewarding Republicans? Where did this grassroots base come from? And I think one thing is to remember is that a lot of the grassroots conservatives, they are definitely pro-life, but it's not their top issue. They're concerned about a lot of other things. And 
you know, there is a group of people who are that's their top issue, but most of them work in conservative think tanks and and things up in Washington, D.C. and stuff. Maybe there's some evangelicals like that, but it doesn't. It's the one social conservative issue that conservatives still stand strong on. But it's, um, you know, it's it, it's the way that they treat it and the way they view it as politically is wrong. I don't think that this is an argument for making the Republican Party pro-choice because that's just never going to work. I just think it's like they need to realize that it's not this political winner as as the pro-life movement promised. It did cost, it did hurt Republicans. And I think that they do have to allow some wiggle room on this issue. Once again, not saying that they, uh, you know, allow pro-choicers to run for Republicans like they should. That's fine to have a purity test on that. But it's like, it's fine. You know, they should probably not be flipping their shit. And this person's like, I support an abortion ban with exceptions. And they're like, we got to get this guy. We got to get rid of this guy. Like they were trying to go after Blake Masters because he seemed to have been backing off from the uh, this zealous position that pro-lifers had. And like, you're going to lose. And it's like, um, you know, it probably if he did lose, it's because not because he was in, he was insufficiently pro-life. It was because of this law that alienated some of the moderate voters from Republicans. And that's just the fact of the matter. It's like sometimes like, you know, a lot of us just want to think that like there's the secret base of or that normies and NPCs out there are secretly based, that they are that they want like the most extreme positions possible. They want the most radical positions possible. And they're just waiting for people to, to advocate for these ideas. And now that is probably true among Republicans. But the average like independent and normie NPCer, as I always want to emph- emphasize, these people are probably are not based. These people just want to consume. They just want to watch the NFL. They just want to smoke weed. They just want to, you know, eat like fast food. They're not that, you know, they're just worried about their own individual interests. And they primarily want government to not interfere in their hobbies and their and their pursuits and their life pursuits. That's it. They are not like people who are ready for revolution. They are not people who are ready to, uh, you know, they're not like hardcore evangelical Christians that some people like like to think that this is like out there. And they're not the they're not they're not based in red pill. I want to just emphasize that. And when you look at these problems that is happening, why Republicans are not doing well, this is a big point. Uh, Ron Coleman made this point as well uh, and saying that like you know liberals control all these institutions and when people are wanting to judge on what's good and right and what to vote for they trust these institutions from the media to universities to you know all these places where liberals are in control and institutions that people rely on to determine their opinions and when that's all in the enemy's hands you know it's very tough for republicans to make gains and the fact that republicans are still able to compete in elections and the fact that they're still able to possibly win the house and senate in these conditions is remarkable and even if you look on the tv as like i was pointing out this stuff is like I, what why are people not voting republican as i watch the nfl game that's filled with black lives matter propaganda why are people not voting republican as network tv treats the overturning of roe v wade as like a nuclear disaster like they show this show with new amsterdam where the whole uh like the whole cast was like crying and and in grief over this uh, Roe v. Wade. And, and this is like a network TV. This is for basic normies. This is like 
this is like Normieville that is targeted. And it's like, uh, there's even worse primetime TV where it's like all like black cops going after white supremacists. This is like what, like look at the equalizer, which is like Queen Latifah. She's like going after white terrorists every show. Uh, at least as that's what the previews show. I've never watched an episode. And it's like, why are, why, why are people voting Republican or, or not voting Republican as like Marvel movies give the same message. And like everyone, like there's two states that voted for weed legalization. Three voted against it. That's like good. They were red states. But one of the, it was like Missouri voted for weed legalization. So, you know, there's a lot of like when you look, want to look at America and you want to say people want to blame Republicans for saying for not being hardcore enough. And this is why they lost is because all these normies were like, well, I was going to vote for Republicans. But they did not promise to build uh, prison camps for libtards, so I'm not. I'm staying home. That, those people are, are don't exist. I mean, well, they they do exist on Twitter, but the, as like a significant part of the electorate, they're just not, they're just not that significant. And that's what people think. It's like, oh, if we just had, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene as like as the person who's going to be the likely House Speaker instead of Kevin McCarthy, is that they would have won in a blowout. And it's like. Uh, you know, Lauren Boebert is pretty close to Marjorie Taylor Greene and she's about to lose. So I don't, I don't think this is the case, but people won't say Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's like a smart, respectable Marjorie Taylor Greene, like Blake Masters. It's like Blake Masters is struggling in his own election. So you really have to blame more the people than the results. But the fact that the Republicans are still, you know, could have possible positive results here is remarkable in this scenario. You got to remember, it's like a vast majority of the population was psyoped by the George Floyd death and immediately began supporting Black Lives Matter. The fact that we could still have like Republican victories on good messaging is that. And some people are going to be talking about like Republicans didn't talk about crime and immigration enough. Immigration, I could agree with, but crime, they talked about heavily. Like Zeldin's whole campaign was built around crime. And so was Oz building, talking about a lot about crime. Like Ron Johnson was talking about a lot of crime. And like they went hard after crime. And I think that did offset some of the advantage the Democrats had from abortion. But, you know, it's a standard line. Like people always want to claim that, you know, uh, Republicans just talk too much about the economy. And it's like, you shouldn't talk about inflation. It's like inflation is actually hurting people. And if you're looking at polling, it was the top issue. And it was like heavily favored to favor to Republicans. But it was also abortion was there. And, you know, whether you like it or not, that's like where the majority of Americans are. And I think it's re people really need to be disabused of this idea that the normies are secretly based and even more based than people on Twitter. And that we need to be more like normies. It's like normies are, uh, you know, a big part of the problem. But I think that they they don't have as much agency as we think. And they just need to be getting better messaging from uh, the institutions or the people who they trust to uh, form their opinions. And so I don't want to be totally blackpilled on that, but that's something people need to consider. I'm tired of like, there is like a, you know, populist message is that the, the masses are good, that they're like the base and it's like all the elites. And well, maybe it's some of the elite problem, but it also fails to understand that the masses really like a lot of this idiocy and, and insanity that we see around us. And a lot of them are, uh, some of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them are hopeless in waking up and getting the message. But the consensus take is not to blame the masses, which probably people are not going to blame the masses, but Democrats will. They'll always blame like white Americans and saying how we need to l reduce their ability to vote. A big thing is like this electorate was actually pretty white. It was 76% white. You know, that's uh, nearly 20% more whites than the actual population. 
you know, we're 57% white and 76% of the electorate is white. And we didn't even seem to do that bad among uh, college educated whites. It was a 50, uh, 50% to 47% uh, you know, vote, which I think it would have been a lot worse, but we're doing really bad among college educated people because we're doing, we're, we view Hispanics as the future and we're, and minorities as the future. And it's coming at the expense of alienating college educated whites. Uh, I think that's also true of like the abortion issue. I don't think the abortion issue is really winning over Hispanics, but it is doing a lot to alienate college educated whites and it's also not helping with rural white turnout i think a thing that may, i'm waiting to see a greater breakdown of of some of these results and turnout but i think a big problem would have also been rural white turnout maybe wasn't as strong as it should have been especially if you see those election exit polls which uh, the college educated white uh, disadvantage was about the same as it was in, in the past uh the past elections it wasn't that radically different so I think the disappointing result, it has to be maybe maybe they were a bigger part of the electorate and maybe the rural whites that are now the solid Republican base wasn't there, which that gives a, uh, a talking point in favor of Trump. Now going back to like saying what the consensus thing to blame is, it's not going to be the masses. It's not going to be abortion. All Republicans and conservatives are going to blame Trump entirely for this because they want to get rid of Trump. And even their DeSantis support, it's less about DeSantis and more about anti-Trump. It's more about Trump. And this is just ridiculous because one, yes, there were some candidates who Trump picked that maybe weren't the best. I think if they had done anyone besides Herschel Walker, it would have been fine. But people didn't complain about Herschel Walker. Nobody ran against Herschel Walker. Nobody ran against Herschel Walker. And people were fine with him running up until like the love child stuff came out. And then the abortion stories came out. Nobody had a problem with him. As I went over with Oz, Oz, besides Roger McCormick, who was like a business establishment guy, he was not like this huge populist, which another thing is like a lot of these DeSantis people want to say is like, we need more true conservatives running. And they, not rhinos like Oz and Herschel Walker. They don't want to talk about Bolt. As I already said, they don't want to talk about Bolduck, Mastriano, and Caroline Levette. Caroline Levette was turned into a huge conservative media star. They're like, this is the future of the party. We love Caroline Levette. And it's even like the same with like Bo Hines. Like they love that person too. And, and you're like saying like, so DeSantis supporters are saying we should have less people like Caroline Levette, less people like Blake Masters, less people like Carrie Lake, less people like Bo Hines. We should have more people like fucking Brian Kemp and Asa Hutchinson. I mean, Asa Hutchinson wasn't in the race this year, but like, you know, like these type of establishment, boring people who nobody wants to vote for. No, they, they don't make that message. They just focus on Oz and Walker. They don't they don't bring up Mastriano because they don't want to alienate their conservative base on, on Twitter. And so they blame entirely Oz and Walker. And they don't want to say, and then they try to claim that Vance and Masters and Lake won their nominations completely on their own. No support from Trump, even though Trump is the sole reason that they won their primaries. And it's the same with many other candidates, too. It's also the reason Trump is the reason why uh, Ron DeSantis became the nominee for governor in 2018. 
People just want to erase Trump and pretend that Trump has done nothing good for anyone. And it's many of these people benefited heavily from Trump when he was in president and he did a lot of things for them. And then they just, you know, people are very ungrateful, especially in right wing politics. Like all these people want to talk about patronage networks and, you know, you do this for me and like Huey Long. And it's like all these people, if we had a patronage network, it's like Trump gives you patronage. And then these people like will immediately accept it and then like revoke it at the at the most convenient possible time for them like the patronage network would never work <clears throat> so you know they're all wanting to blame trump but it's like looking at this for a fact is like if this was trump's fault nobody would ask him to do rallies for them and these rallies get the base out and if a reason why republicans didn't do so well is because they had problems turning out their base maybe they would have done better if Trump was on the ballot. And the 2016 and 2020 Trump, Republicans did better than they did in 2018 when Trump was not on the ballot. And Trump was not on the ballot here. And this was not a referendum on Trump. He is not the president of the United States. He is not in office. He is just a guy who's doing rallies. He's about to run for president. You know, it's very smart that he didn't announce he was running on Monday. <laughs> that was very good for Trump. Uh, that would have been very bad. I think it's good that it's smart that he waited. I'm glad he did that. But if the result is due to Republicans not getting out as strong of turnout from those rural whites, then who's to blame for that? And, you know, that's a that's that's there to be. And it's not like Trump is like, wow, I want to pick the shittiest candidates possible. And these are Trump candidates and all these MAGA candidates do terribly. Got to remember. None of these people want to attack J.D. Vance. They don't want to attack Blake. Ma well, some of the really establishing people want to attack Blake Masters, but most of the DeSantis simps are not going to attack Blake Masters. They worship Blake Masters. Same with Carrie Lake. If you want to say that MAGA candidates are losing, then you're saying that Blake Masters, uh, J.D. Vance, Carrie Lake, those type of people shouldn't run. We should instead run people like Brian Kemp. That is what they're saying, and it's a return to just like basic establishment, basic bitch establishing Republican politics. And all that's what I, the message I'm getting from all these people. It's like, once again, why are you getting an, a non-account if you would just vote for fucking George W. Bush? Like the point is not just simply getting an R win. An R win for somebody like, you know, George W. Bush type, a Mitt Romney type, a John McCain type is not a fucking win for us. We'll just vote. I'd rather vote for a Democrat than someone like that, depending on the Democrat. That what we're trying to do is push our mission, our mission forward, our agenda forward. And if you're wanting to just say an R win is an R win, I mean an R win is an R win if it's on behalf of making the party more America first, more Trumpian. And that's what and if Republicans do well, Trumpism, America first, nationalism does well. And that's why we want people like Blake Masters and all those types to win. But when you are then celebrating soy jacking over someone like Brian Kemp, who is one of the worst Republicans, there is very little to recommend themselves or great about Brian Kemp. Like Brian Kemp promised to crack down on illegal immigrants or illegal immigrants when he ran for governor in 2018. And he did jack shit about it. And he did jack shit about it. And he also was like, you know, catering to Black Lives Matter. And there's also so many of these Republicans do that. It's like Bill Lee's another example. Bill Lee like promised to crack down on illegal immigrants. And then when he was given the opportunity to stop refugees, particularly Syrian refugees and other Muslim refugees from coming to Tennessee, what did he do? He rejected that, uh, that uh, ability to do that Trump had given him and said that his 
that his faith or whatever was the reason why would that Tennessee must accept more immigrants. And a lot of Tennesseans who are also devout Christians uh, didn't like that reasoning. And that was very unpopular among Republicans. But people were like, well, he won big. We need more people like that. It's like, no, we want more people like us to win. It, we're not winning if people like Brian Kemp and those types are, are the defining the party. And the thing about DeSantis is DeSantis is implementing Trump's policies. There's a lot of things to recommend him to. But there's a lot of things that people are not wanting to admit about DeSantis. They have to ask themselves, it's like, why does Jeb Bush, Paul Ryan, and now even David Frum like Ron DeSantis? If he's such a threat to the global American empire, if he's such a threat to the system, if he's such a threat to the status quo, why does Jeb Bush and Paul Ryan love Ron DeSantis? Oh, well, now they're based. That could be the only question that they say. And the reason why these people like him because they see him as a return to the status quo. As they see him as somebody that they can, you know, more malleable to somebody who that they can make be more supportive of the, of the status quo and the system. And, you know, there could be some good changes that DeSantis has. And if, like, given the choice between DeSantis and Newsom, I would choose DeSantis. Given the choice between Biden and DeSantis, I'd probably choose DeSantis. I probably would. I mean, the only reason it wouldn't is like, well, we've already had Biden. <laughs> Divided government with Biden, whatever. It'd probably still be better with DeSantis, but maybe for a point. But if it was Newsom, DeSantis, I, I would obviously uh, pick DeSantis. But depending on, and Kamala Harris and who else. But looking at some of these things that people want to say, and it, even like DeSantis does some great stuff, but you know, he has the same problems with Trump that like people like lacking the will to go forward with things. I think Trump had more of a will to do things to buck the system than than DeSantis. And yeah, you may say like that's not true. Look at all the cool things he's done in Florida. But that's on a statewide level when he has the structures around him supporting him 100%. When he gets out of the state and tries to do something, he backs away from it. The migrant flights are a huge red flag on what DeSantis may do. It's like the migrant flights were, you know, they were a stunt. I always said they were stunt. At least they drew attention to the issue. But I was, you know, uh, it was more, it was less anti-DeSantis and more anti-the DeSantis stance who were just saying that like this is the greatest thing that has ever happened. No Republican, no person in, on earth has ever decided to use state power in such an effective manner. And I was like, I don't think this is that big of a deal. <clears throat> but the worst part is that DeSantis then backed away from it and didn't want to talk about the migrant flights anymore and moved away because there was like trouble. There was trouble from the federal government. There was trouble from uh, other local authorities. There was trouble from lawsuits. There was, a, you know, there's possibility that was in polling well. And he backed away from it. It was not the stro strong show of force that people thought it was. Now, so he backed away. And that maybe indicates what he would do on a national government if he actually has to face some type of hurdle or some type of scenario that like, you know, is turning out to be a little bit more difficult than he expected. He won't follow through with it. And that's something to keep in mind. And there's also people, other people like DeSantis too. It's like Paul Singer, who is like one of the worst neocon donors, you know, <clears throat> been responsible for a lot of terrible things in the Republican Party, you know, helped push, uh, you know, the GOP to accommodate gay marriage and usually been a very strong immigration advocate has meetings, has dinners with Ron DeSantis, as it's been reported. It's like, you know, when Ron DeSantis is meeting donors, Paul Singer is always a name that comes up. So, I mean, you know, if this is the guy, if he's such like a threat to the establishment, then why does the establishment love him and want to prop him up? And it's not like DeSantis is probably going to resist the establishment in a way that Trump could. 
if they want, and the people he's going to staff with this administration are going to be the standards conservative establishment Republican types. He's not going to rely on like the base people to staff his administration because all the non-base people are going to want to work for him. All the establishment people are going to want to work for him. And so you're going to see a lot of the same. So we may even have a work. People always want to attack Trump for the personnel thing. A lot of that came from he didn't have people who wanted to work for him, or he didn't know where these competent people are up until near the end of the administration when a lot of their personnel problems were being solved. But with DeSantis, it wouldn't be a matter of finding those people. It would just be, why go for the toxic people, when you the radical people, when you get the establishment types? So that's just something to say. But, you know, people know about my DeSantis talk and <laughs> that – I don't want to distract too much from DeSantis. I also want to say it's like all everyone wants to blame Trump for this, but DeSantis campaigned for these same people. He went out there and he put his reputation online because he's trying to say, I'm an election winner. I can go out to any state and win people. He went up to New York to campaign with Zeldin to show that like I'm standing with winners that maybe Trump isn't supporting, but I'm going up there to these states and I'm showing and putting my reputation and my endorsement behind a lot of these people. And he also endorsed uh, the O'Day guy and Senate candidate O'Day in in Colorado when Trump uh, disavowed him because the guy attacked Trump. And he was like, and people said, this is like a test of wills to see who wins there. And the guy lost in a blowout. So if people wanted to say where DeSantis staked his reputation on a national scale, Zelda and I don't think the DeSantis factor mattered. But, you know, if DeSantis wants to say, well, he was my guy, I think Trump endorsed him too. But Zelda knew that, I think both Trump and Zelda knew that, like, it's not a good idea for him to campaign, uh, for Trump to campaign for Zelda in New York. But DeSantis went up there to campaign for him, put his, to say he's backing winner. Zeldin lost. Did the same with O'Day in Colorado. I don't think he campaigned for him, but, you know, he endorsed him. He made a big deal about endorsing him. Trump said that was a big mistake, and that guy got lost in a blowout. So who are the DeSantis candidates that should have been there? Because all the good people that Populous Inc. love, Vance, Masters, uh, you name them, they all, you know, they were Trump guys. Who are the DeSantis people? Brian Kemp was probably the only one, the guy who won decisively that Trump was not a fan of, that was not a Trump guy. And that's who you want as your party? Uh, that's not a change. That's a return to the status quo that Trump was supposed to permanently end. And so that's why a big reason is keep supporting Trump. I'm keeping the faith, obviously, alive with Trump. I don't think it was that great of a night for Trump, but I think people are manipulating the uh, events of last night to reach a conclusion that they've all wanted to be to reach back in 2015, which is they want Trump out of the way and they want to return to the status quo. And they see DeSantis as restoring to that and that they'll be more respectable if they vote for, if they support DeSantis rather than Trump. But it was a big night for DeSantis. I think going on to what it means for 2024, DeSantis is probably going to run. I, I predicted that DeSantis is going to chicken out, but I think the results... Him winning by a big margin, it looking like Trump lost, the entire conservative media immediately blaming Trump and saying it's time to eliminate Trump. And probably you got to imagine all these donors are calling up DeSantis and like, you've got to run. We can't let Trump make us lose again. And DeSantis is going to be pushed into running against Trump. But um, as I've always said, the results of that primary are not going to change. 
depending on tonight because people have a short memory. And I think if the GOP retains the majority, a majority is majority. They're not going to care that much if it wasn't as big of a majority as they expected. A majority is majority. People are going to move on and they're not going to. And Trump, once he's doing his rallies again, people are going to forget what their thoughts were that Tuesday night and go back to wanting Trump and DeSantis does not have it. He does not have what it takes to take on Trump. He does not have the charisma. I don't think he operates as well outside of Florida. And it's going to be a disaster for DeSantis. And it's likely going to end his political hopes and future. And I want to say this. There's like plenty of instances of guys who, you know, finish strong in elections. And people said that like this is proof that they're a heavy favorite for the for the presidential nomination. There's two examples from 2016. Chris Christie won by over 20 points in his race in New Jersey. Now, granted, conservatives weren't that fond of Chris Christie, but this was like a strong showing for Christie. And it said that like this guy, if he he's winning in a blue state by a decisive margin, he's got the charisma. I mean, DeSantis doesn't have the charisma. This is the guy who you want. Now, he had some scandals. He had the Bridgegate scandal. But when he ran for president, he did terribly. He ended his race after finishing dead last in New Hampshire. Terrible showing. And he didn't go anywhere. Scott Walker didn't win his state by a decisive margin, but it, people predicted he would lose because he was so controversial and hated for a lot of these conservative measures he was pushing through in Wisconsin. He won by like six points. A pretty, you know, pretty strong showing for what was put against him. And people predicted that he would be, you know, a strong contender uh, in the Republican field. And he was instead the first person to drop out after getting no support. So people... You know, DeSantis is a little bit of a different scenario from that. But these show an example that, you know, looking at uh, election results from a midterm and, you know, in in Chris Christie's state's case, it was a year before the midterm. And then extrapolating that and saying that this is what the presidential election is going to be like. This is what the primary is going to be like. It's assuming that people take memories stay too long or much longer than they are. And a big thing I have to say is that people running on what they accomplished in their state is not that good of a pitch anymore. It, you know, it works in the state. It works on a state level. It does not carry on a national level anymore. It's all based on personality and charisma, a lot, mostly based on personality and charisma and their type of moments of what they make of it. And Trump is a much stronger candidate than he was when in 2016. His support base when he first got in the race was marginal at best. And then he slowly rose up to the majority to being the favorite of the party. But he never got 50% of that support up until like he won the nomination. He's starting at over 50% this time. He has that hard-earned loyalty of the MAGA base. And DeSantis, a lot of the DeSantis appeal comes from the fact that People think he is more charismatic and, and a better speaker than he is. But when he gets on the campaign trail and he was speaking to crowds and when Trump is getting under his skin and knowing how to attack him and bring him down, it's going to be bad for DeSantis and it's going to be a Trump win. So that's like the implications of that. The second factor I need to say is like everyone wants to say is like the GOP needs to get rid of Trump. That's their most important obligation. I remember, you know, back in 2013 when all these same people said that the most important thing the GOP should do is promote amnesty. It's their only way for political survival. Uh, Look how that idea turned out. The thing with GOP is that they can't get rid of Trump. Trump is running for president. Trump has 
that, as I said, that loyalty of 50%, at least 50% of Republican voters. And his legal troubles are probably going to make him more popular among the Republican base. And it's going to be harder for all these DeSantis simps who say that DeSantis is the real challenge to the status quo to say he's the real challenge to the status quo while his opponent is being hounded by the federal government for challenging the status quo. While DeSantis is allowed on social media and not being investigated by anyone. That's that's a hard pitch to make. And DeSantis is going to go. So back to the point of how Trump can get be getting rid of or gotten rid of. It's like the only things that can you have to get rid of him is like you have to challenge him in a vicious. You have to challenge him in a primary, which he is most likely to win. No matter how like bad his chances are in a general election, he is the clear favorite for winning the primary. And the only way DeSantis or somebody else can beat him is if the entire apparatus of the part, if no one else runs, which is unlikely factor, and DeSantis proves to be this super charismatic and easily takes on Trump on a debate stage, which he's not going to do, or he's not going to, when it comes on a national stage, Trump is going to outclass him in every regard, maybe besides like accomplishments, but like nobody's going to care about those accomplishments. DeSantis has, doesn't have what it takes to take down Trump in a primary. So that's not going to probably work. The only other thing is like a jail sentence, <laughs> which, uh, you know, Trump still may run for president and he may be vindictive about this. The only way that Trump, the GOP can hope that Trump goes away for 2024 is if his legal troubles mount and the presidential field that's running against him or the primary field that's running against him offers most of the candidates offer him a pardon and Trump realizes it's probably smarter for him to take the promised pardon or the pledge of a pardon and drop out and endorse whoever endorse, or drop out or maybe endorse whoever promises it or just drops out in general. And it's a smarter bet for him to just, you know, drop out, let Republicans run and them offer in under the understanding that they will give him a pardon when they become president. That's the only way that Trump will be removed. But that's not even what these people want. They want like a full on war on Trump. There's once again, all these people talk about Trump like jilted ex-lover and they really want to make Trump suffer for the crime of, I don't know, being Trump. Like these people, most of these people got benefit from Trump and they're just like treat, like they're just so mad and angry and bitter against Trump. And they probably want Trump to go to jail. So the, unless they like still, they still have to be tro, pro Trump. Like the angle that right wing Twitter is taking and media is taking is going to make Trump angrier and more re- resolute in running. And the only way is by being nice to him and catering to him and say, look, we support you. We want you. We want you to be president. But, you know, your legal troubles are coming into in a, in a difficult position for us. And we will promise you a pardon if you do this. Now, now the GOP is fucked if, if, or at least from the standpoint of getting rid of Trump, if they don't give him an, an indictment. And Garland may, you know, because they're back to investigating him. They, the, you know, they gave him the 60 day reprieve before the election, but now the election is over. They're going back to investigating Trump, and there could be an indictment of Trump this month. Maybe. I don't, it doesn't seem like, well, who knows? I'll, I'll just say that it's possible. 
And Garland may back off because he's already wanted to have a special counsel for this, which does show a weakness of will on Garland's part because he doesn't want to be the person to uh, recommend an indictment for Trump. He wants somebody he wants to pass that. He wants to pass that responsibility on to somebody else, which indicates that he does not want to indict. He, he is worried about the consequences if he indicts Trump. That's a good sign for Trump. I still think that some type of an indictment will come down. But they may be Garland may chicken out if he's the if he's a presidential candidate and it appears that the federal government is uh, using its power to suppress the opposition party. I think because a special counsel announcement of him considering it is like a good sign for Trump that uh, that that Garland may lack the will to go forward with this. So that's a good sign. But as I always said, I, I think the chances of a Trump indictment are unfortunately still, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to say good, but still, unfortunately still high. But so those are the 2020 implications with that. So they're not going to get rid of Trump. Like Trump, the only way to get rid of Trump is though is that type of negotiation where they're very supportive, they're very nice. And Trump has just so much legal problems stacked up that he realizes his only, his better hope is just to, back another Republican and that Republican endorse him. But I actually do not view this as a likely scenario based on what Trump is, um, how he acts and how he goes about these things. And I don't see Republicans wanting to make that deal because they all have this very smug, arrogant attitude towards Trump. And they think that they can, like, especially with DeSantis, that they can easily destroy him in a primary. Which even if Trump did lose a primary... He would not endorse that. He would not support that candidate. That candidate would lose probably in the general election due to uh, the Trump factor anyway. So these are just some things to consider with Trump and him going away. Now, there's other factors when 2024 comes out with the Democrats. Joe Biden, after last night, even with um, even with the results that may still result in a majority, I think he's going to go, he's at, He's for sure going to run. I think if it was a bloodbath, I think it would have been everyone saying, okay, no, you've got to go. We've got to have somebody else. And there have been more pressure on him to not run. Now I think they're just saying, well, you know, even with his all his unpopularity, the Republicans just can't get it done. And he won the previous time, and we don't want to have a messy primary. Okay, how about you run? There still may be a primary challenge to him because there's still things that could go wrong with Biden. There's still like if Republicans get the House, they're going to investigate Hunter Biden and his family for a wide variety of impropriety. And there may and stuff may come out that may really hurt Biden. And if that happens, that may be enough to, you know, make somebody reconsider like this guy's going to get destroyed in a general election. It's my time to shine. And I always predict that person will probably be Gavin Newsom. <clears throat> so as I predict, I think I think it's more after last night. I think it's very much more likely that Biden runs and that that all their primary challengers may be dissuaded. But there's a lot of th more things that can go wrong with Biden and he still has a lot of weaknesses, but I think the fact that last night was not a bloodbath for Democrats and that they did better than they expected, and they may even retain the majorities in both chambers. If they retain, you know, with those results, I think Biden will definitely run, and Democrats, despite all his problems, they may back 
Biden because they say that might be better than a messy primary battle. So those are my thoughts on the election. Uh, obviously, the elections are still you know, not fully resolved on the results and what they mean. And I'm sure there'll be more takes and opinions for me to offer next Monday on the election. So you'll have to tune in for that. But these are my initial thoughts. Hopefully they are not completely discredited by uh, results coming in later tonight. So we'll see that. So up until next. So that's it for today's episode. We're going to, of course, have a great, highly respected next week. So until next time, stay respected. Stay respected.